You know what day it is. It is Wednesday and time now for Supernatural News and Parish Air. In order to do that, we need a co-host. Let's bring him in. The BCB, the big cuddly bear himself, Beer City Bruiser. Bruiser, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Just uh, stretching the good old muscles and getting the brain going here early this morning and excited to see what we got in the Supernatural area. Lots of good stories today, Bruiser. Um, what To kind of tease you today... Um, oh, you tease. I know. That's all I do is just tease. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, some interesting alien developments, including okay. including one girl in Peru who believes she was abducted by a floating seven-foot alien gang with green eyes. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're going to talk about that today. Of course, we've got AI involved today in today's show and, and an interesting story about how AI can now create AI without us. So it doesn't need us at all now. doesn't need us at all. Also, uh, Tesla has announced that they've recalled over 2 million vehicles due to an autopilot safety concern. So, you know, it, it's, uh, it's... Elon is not having a good month. He's not having, <laughs> not a, at all. Not having a good month at all. Um, we've also got some other interesting stories as far as one with a ghost hunter feeling or ghost hunters feeling sick after an encounter at one of the UK's most haunted buildings. We'll talk about that. Uh, we've got some interesting supernatural stuff as well. We've got a near death experience we'll talk about today. And we have a Christmas story just in time for Christmas. The creepy origin story of the Nutcracker. Okay. We'll talk about that today as well. So we've got lots on tap for you and Ziggy's picks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. As we tape this, we'll have you know that there's still one more game for this week. Yeah. But for the most part, we've got most of the games out of the way. So we'll just... Especially Talia. Talia is... Whew. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk a little bit about that a little later in the program in our little psychic experiment there. But first, let's jump into it right away, shall we? And just say that alien life may exist in our solar system after a key molecule is found on Saturn's moon. Okay, I'm curious what molecule this is. Yeah. A molecule that is key to the origin of life has been found on Saturn's moon. Is it Enceladus? Enceladus? Enceladus. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which has already been seen as one of the most promising locations to find alien existence in our solar system. Scientists have found further evidence that life could exist on one of Saturn's moons with a key molecule discovered the great question has always been whether we are alone or there or is there alien life out there and with improvements in technology we are better equipped to delve to other galaxies in the search but there's also the possibility that life could exist in this solar system with more organic molecules found on Enceladus Saturn's six largest moon it has already been seen as one of the most promising locations for life inside our solar system due to water vapor which is rich in organic compounds now scientists more closely analyzing data from nasa's cassini mission have found strong confirmation of hydrogen cyanide which is a molecule which is key to the origin of life Researchers have also uncovered evidence that the ocean, which is hiding below the moon's icy outer shell and supplies the plume, holds a powerful source of chemical energy. This is according to NASA. 
Unidentified until now, the energy source is in the form of several organic compounds, some of which on Earth serve as fuel for organisms. NASA's Cassini spacecraft uh, flew by Enceladus in 2020, I'm sorry, in 2011 and 2012, where it was found that there was water, carbon dioxide, methane, ammonia, and molecular hydrogen in samples. But now further analysis of the samples show that there are also other molecules that are present. Our work provides further evidence that Enceladus is host to some of the most important molecules for both, creating the building blocks for life and for sustaining that life through metabolic reactions, stated lead author Jonah Peter, a doctoral student at Harvard University who performed much of the research while working at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Southern California. Not only does Enceladus seem to meet the basic requirements for habitability, we now have an idea about how complex biomolecules could form there and what sort of chemical pathways might be involved. Life as we know it requires building blocks such as amino acids and hydrogen cyanide, which is one of the most important and versatile molecules needed to form amino acids. The discovery of hydrogen cyanide was particularly exciting because it's the starting point for most theories of the origin of life, Mr. Peters said. The more we tried to poke holes in our results by testing alternative models, the stronger the evidence became. Eventually, it became clear that there is no way to match the plume composition without including hydrogen cyanide. Scientists are still a long way from answering if life does exist on Enceladus, but they have now laid out a chemical pathway for life that could be tested in a lab. Okay. So, life on other so planets. They're, they're, they're essentially going to try and create life, from what I got from that. Well, they're saying it's possible to it's create possible, life. It's possible, yeah. Yeah, based on a chemical composition. So, with that in mind, Bruiser, are we one step closer to life on other planets? I think we are. I think every day we get closer. I don't think we'll live on other planets in our lifetimes. But I think... I think... in. There are other life out there, but I don't think they're in our galaxy. I think they're in other galaxies. Yeah. Yeah. And I think these planets where we're finding these minerals and these molecules and stuff is just where, like, the test was. Hey, can life sustain here? No, it can't. Let's move to this planet. Let's move to this planet. And then Earth was the planet that it grew and and became, the you know, universal terranium. I see what you're saying. Um do you think that, let's just say, you're saying in our lifetime you don't think that that will exist on other planets, or we won't we won't make that jump and and exist on other planets, or try to set up a, a satellite planet for us to exist on? But how many years down the road do you think that our species will try to set up a camp? I think I think we'll try it in our lifetime. I think in the next fifty to seventy-five years, we'll try to set up a camp somewhere. But I don't think an actual planet where you can visit as a civilian will happen in our lifetimes. Okay. I, I think we'll find out there's other lives out there. There's other beings out there, and I think that'll that'll help us progress. In getting other places, but I think we have to learn about these other beings. So I think yes, they'll find out there's 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 beings on other planets, 
and then the next 100 years is us discovering what we know about each other, you know, um, maybe not 100 years, maybe a couple, but you know what I mean, like learning our cultures. Do you think we find it through the new telescope? Yes. Yeah, we find those, yes. those new races? Yes. It would be interesting. And I think if it's when they want to be seen. I think they know we're here, but they don't want to be seen yet. They don't think we're ready yet. Okay. It's interesting. I don't know. I don't know what to think. You know, as far as, you know, there's that Fermi's paradox that says that we may be truly alone in the universe. Um, the more we search, the less we find. Um, it's interesting to see how the how expansive the universe is. The more we look with this telescope, and and the more we see, and, and how beautiful the and how expansive the universe truly is, and how small we truly are. Yeah, um, you know. And then, but it seems like the more we're looking, the less we're finding. You know. I think it's just because there's more out there, but I don't think I, I think it's think about it back in. We'll go caveman days. Mm -hmm. You had your tribe. You know what I mean? You had your group of people that you were born into and you lived with. There was nobody else. Maybe a, a neighborhood, you know, an uncles or something next door. Yeah. Then the wheels invented. So now you're able to travel longer distances. So now 100 miles back in caveman days, you know, was unthinkable. But now you can do it. And now you find another race. Now you find someone that is human but a different skin color. Yeah. different language yeah so now your universe just expanded so now you want to explore now you come up to the, the exploration when they crossed and they found america and they found south america and all that now the earth okay cool now we're finding all this now we go to space we land on the moon okay we're able to do that we get telescopes now that can look further and further and further into our universe we're gonna find that other species it's just, where are they? I think there's so much in between. We're not finding them yet. Or, like I said before, they don't want to be found yet. True. Very true. Very true. Um, again, I, I said this yesterday, and I and I maintain it, that we we have some of the best best listeners, best family out there on this show. And, and yes, we, we do. Uh, we got to thank Brandon for this next story. A mysterious, never-before-seen deep space radio signal has been found beyond the Milky Way. So we're talking about these fast-burst radio signals. They've always been found within the Milky Way system. This right. one was found beyond the Milky Way system. A team of astronomers say they've detected a never-before-heard radio signal that offers insights into the mystery of uncharted deep space. The signal, known as a fast-burst or fast radio burst, a bright flash of radio light lasting for a few milliseconds and originating from beyond the Milky Way has been found. Some FRBs repeat themselves in a new study published in the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society has shed new light. The study has detected a highly active repeating FRB signal behaving differently than anything previously detected. This work is exciting because it provides both confirmation of known FRB properties and the discovery of some new ones, said lead author Sophia Shake of the SETI Institute in California. Over a two-month period, Shake and other scientists observed 35 FRBs from a single source, FRB 2022-0912A. They discovered a fascinating pattern emerging from their observations. 
Most repeating FRBs gradually get lower in pitch as they go on, according to astronomers. However, FRB 2022-0912A, I'll give you a guess as to why it's named that. <laughs> why? It was the first one caught on September 12th of 2022. <laughs> is different. It has a never-before-seen change in pitch that sounds like a cosmic slide whistle, which can be heard when the data is converted into a sound clip using a xylophone. The high-pitched notes are at the beginning of the clip, while the low-pitched notes are at the end, like someone playing a xylophone and repeating er, and repeatedly hitting the lowest note, scientists at the SETI Institute report. Astronomers believe some FRBs are caused by a type of neutron star called a magnetar. These neutron stars have a very strong magnetic field uh, and are the cores of dead stars. We're narrowing down the sources of FRBs, for example, to extreme objects such as magnetars, but no existing model can explain all of the properties that have been observed so far, Sheikh said. Other ideas suggest that FRBs could also be produced by colliding neutron stars or merging white dwarfs. The latest research is another step forward in the quest to unlock the secret of FRBs, Shake said, which generate as much energy as a thousandth of a second as our sun does in an entire year. Wow. Yeah. Kind of interesting stuff that's happening out there in the universe. Yeah, it is. See, it again, we're finding new stuff every day, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's when they made it into a slide whistle. <laughs> like, they get the <laughs> most complex scientific thing they can and they make it into a, a sound of a child's toy that's true that's true uh, another story sent in by another listener the land of the lost a hidden lagoon network is found within living fossils similar to those from more than three billion years ago scientists have discovered a previously hidden ecosystem with an expansive system of lagoons in the salt plains of puna de atacama which is an arid plateau in argentina with giant stromatolites uh, that could provide a glimpse into the earliest life on Earth and possibly even on Mars. This, according to new research, stromatolites, uh, I, I think it was stromata, yeah, stromatolites uh, are layered rocks created by the growth of blue green algae or cyanobacteria through photosynthesis. The structures are considered to be one of the oldest ecosystems on Earth, according to NASA, representing the earliest fossil evidence for life on our planet from at least three and a half billion years ago. These are certainly akin to some of the real or earliest uh, macro fossils on our planet and in and in really a rare type of environment on modern Earth, said Brian Hynek, a professor in the Department of Geological Sciences at the University of Colorado Boulder, who helped document the ecosystem. They are a window into the distant past as to what life might have looked like three and a half billion years ago on our planet. Ancient giant stromatolites uh, used to be widespread in Earth's Precambrian era, which encompasses the early time span of around 4.6 billion to 540 million years ago but now they are sparsely distributed around the world. The most well-developed areas are in the Bahamas and in the Shark Bay area in Western Australia, according to the nonprofit conservation organization Bush Heritage Australia. Modern stromatolites are relatively small, Heineck said, whereas ancient stromatolites used to grow to 20 feet tall 
and 16 to 20 feet wide, or I'm sorry, 16 to 22 feet wide, uh, he went on to say. Beneath the waters of Puna de Atacama's lagoons, the recently uncovered stromatolites are up to 15 feet wide and several feet high. That according to a news release from the University of Colorado Boulder. Stromatolites also tend to grow in alkaline conditions, but the Puna de Atacama's system of lagoons are acidic. The stromatolites found today are almost carbonate rocks made of limestone, but these structures are mostly composed of the minerals gypsum and halite, which are rock salt, Heineck said. It is unclear why these stromatolites are so large, Heineck said, but he speculated that the inland ecosystem sat undisturbed for a long period of time, which allowed them to grow unimpeded. Uh, unlike modern stromatolites, ancient stromatolites grew in a period where the atmosphere lacked oxygen. In these conditions, the stromatolites' microbes used an oxygenic photosynthesis, which uh, doesn't require oxygen to convert light energy into compounds that support living cells. It is spectacular to find structures that could be biogenic, uh, produced by living organisms at this unusual altitude, said Peter Vishner, uh, who is a professor of marine sciences at the University of Connecticut, who has extensively studied stromatolites in, a, in an email. He didn't study them in an email, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, a major issue with the discovery, whether biogenic or not, is that these are formed in the presence of oxygen in the current atmosphere. Until 2.3 billion years ago, there was no oxygen. While the stromatolites are in an environment containing oxygen, Heineck said he believes the layers are farther down in the rock and have little to no access to oxygen and are actively formed by microbes using an oxygenic photosynthesis. This would make the structures similar to the ones found on ancient Earth. Heineck spotted the system of lagoons through satellite imagery in April of 2022 when he was studying another lagoon in northwestern Argentina that had sm smaller stromatolites uh, with microbes that use an, oxy an oxygenic photosynthesis. These are big words. Uh, <laughs> A lot of science in this article. That's right. We're not sure if microbes or if the microbes are actively participating in their growth in the newly discovered stromatolites, we think they are, but we haven't done the experiments yet to try to figure that part out, said Heineck, who documented preliminary observations with microbiologist Maria Farias, uh, co-founder of Punabio SA Environmental Consulting. There's a lot of work to be done. We just discovered them and hardly scratched the surface. Heineck and Ferrarius uh, were slated to present their findings December 11th at the 2023 meeting of the American Geophysical Union in San Francisco, according to a press release. If the stromatolites are produced by microbes using anoxygenetic photosynthesis, the discovery could provide insight on the possibility of life on ancient Mars, according to Heineck. We've identified more than 600 ancient lakes on Mars, there may have even been an ocean at one time. So it was a lot of a lot more Earth-like early on, he said. Heineck also said the minerals gypsum and halite deposits all over Mars. So that's where we tie everything together. So and I've heard of oceans on Mars. They say with those big vast areas used to be underwater. Mm -hmm. If Mars ever evolved life through photosynthesis, this is the type of thing we'd be looking for. Stromatolites. 
And it is the type of thing we're looking for, said Heineck, who is also a research associate at the University of Colorado Boulder's Laboratory for Atmospheric and Space Physics. If we're going to find any sort of fossils on Mars, this is our best guess as to what they would be, because these are the oldest ones from the Earth rock record. Heineck says he hopes to return to the lagoon soon to conduct more research of the stromatolites. Stromatolites on Mars, he says, a long shot, but who knows? So far, no carbonates at the surface of Mars, but the search continues, Vischer said, for potential signs of life. So they're trying to tie some of the things or some of the structures that we're finding here on Earth to some of the structures that are found on Mars and say that, hey, you know what? At one time, Mars might have had the exact same life that we have here on Earth, and that's proof that that life existed on Mars. Right. So it was at one time a habitable planet. Which they've said in the past, like, again, they've, they've had vast, this was an ocean, this was an ice cave, and they found different bacteria and stuff on there, which suggested that this is more proof, which is great. Yeah, exactly. A girl in Peru believes she was abducted by a floating seven-foot alien gang bruiser with green eyes. I hate when that happens. Don't you hate when that happens? You're just walking along and all of a sudden there's seven-feet aliens around you. Get on the ship now. (laughs) A 15-year-old girl named Talia and members of the Haikido Indigenous Group says she was attacked by a group of towering creatures who put an unknown substance on her face and eyes. <laughs> I'll just throw one of these in your face, so to speak. A girl from Peru has revealed terrifying details after witnesses said she was abducted by a gang of seven-foot aliens. Residents of a Peruvian village known as the Haikido have reported a series of chilling incidents committed by a mob of towering beatings that have left the tribe in a state of terror. One of the incidents involved a 15-year-old girl called uh, Talia, who has told a film crew how she was attacked by two figures clad in a black body armor and wearing masks. I think we read something similar to this a few weeks ago. Yeah, it sounds familiar, but they weren't seven feet tall, were they? Maybe they were. Yeah, they were tall like that. Yeah. Yeah. She says, my eye felt bad. It felt cloudy. My face felt like it was swelling, she said, adding that she couldn't feel my face. Uh, The attackers then spread the same substance across her face, she said. The alien connection may have been from the attempted kidnappers' green eyes and the jetpacks they were wearing, which could be activated by pressing a button on their boots. Members of the Ikidu uh, population branded the airborne attackers' green goblins, and have linked them to the, a local legend known as Los Pelicaris, or the Face Peelers. Local leaders describe them as floating creatures that can be harmed by bullets. Speaking to local broadcaster Radio Programas de Peru, or Del Peru, rather, Ikido leader Jairo, I believe this is uh, Retegu Avia, said these gentlemen are aliens. However, Peruvian officials have put forward a theory to suggest that the attacks are less otherworldly. They would be using state-of-the-art technology, such as thrusters that allow people to fly. Quintanilla told RPP he believes that the local community was being terrorized by illegal gold miners armed with jetpacks. The region itself is currently being plundered for its rich gold sources, as the precious metal is deposited like silt along the Nene River, 
uh, bed, which is a tributary along the Amazon. Peruvian officials believe it has become so lucrative for drug cartels that it's dwarfing profits from the drug trade. Between 2013 and 2023, it raked in $8.2 billion when compared with just $640 million from trafficking. Talia's interview was recorded by Five Me Zero Productions, documentarians who produce films about paranormal activity. But what she says may support the prosecutor's theory. I went back to our garden to pick tangerines, Talia said. And while I was picking tangerines so I could make myself a drink, that's when I felt dry leaves blowing all around me. But when she turned, she saw a very tall man. But when I tried to run, he grabbed me from back here, which was her neck, Talia continued, and he turned me around and covered my mouth. Two Colombian men were held in November in connection to the illegal gold mining, but released a little over a week later on the orders of a local judge. Now, to add to that bruiser, I do know of, I can't say who it is, but I do know of someone who, in their confidence, told me that there are a couple of governments that are looking into this. Okay. And this isn't necessarily alien in nature. Okay. This could be human in nature dressed to scare people. They're not scaring people on purpose, but this, this has, uh, this has military implications. Okay. Which I kind of figure with the body armor and the jetpacks. Yeah. But it, it, it does. They're, they're onto something with that article. Yeah, and this is the second time we've heard of these beings. So whether they're extraterrestrial or human, they still need to be investigated and found out. Yeah, and it, it does have... Because now they're hurting people. It does have something to do with resources. So, yeah. But it the fact that they're terrorizing locals and innocent people is is scary. They want to get them out of there so they can have more resources. Essentially. Yeah. yeah, and and they're innocent people, and and that's that's a that's a shame. Yeah, it's a shame. Let's take our break. When we come back, boy, do we have AI stories for you today? Of course, well, we got to give you the scare before Christmas. Christmas is a time for scary stories, by the way. So we've got a few for you. <laughs> uh, we've got some some AI to talk about. AI is creating AI, so it doesn't need us anymore. Look, we've we've reached the pinnacle. Wait, congratulations, scientists! You've destroyed the humankind. <laughs> AI, AIO, Tesla is recalling some vehicles. Um, we'll tell you about that. We've got some interesting stories coming up as well. Um, we've got the creepy reason that, or actually, the creepy origin story behind the Nutcracker, and the creepy reason it isn't such a cute class or Christmas classic. We'll put it that way. <laughs> well, it has an. A rat king in it, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've got a near-death experience to tell you about as well today. Ziggy's picks are on the way, and we'll end the story today with a couple interesting stories, Bruiser. Of course, we've got our animal story that we end with, but I've got a little recipe to share. I've got a Christmas gift for you, my friend, that I'm going to pass along to Mrs. Bruiser. All right. I've got I a like little... recipes. i got a little recipe that I'm going to share with everybody that will make your life easier. Well, I like those recipes. I just can't tell you what it is quite yet. It's a little Christmas gift for me to you, a little Christmas surprise that I came upon this past week. Okay. All right. So we'll end today's show with a little Christmas treat. Okay. All right. It's a little different from today. I know you may say, what's supernatural about it? 
Well, it's Christmas. Christmas is supernatural. That's right. It, it's supernaturally good. That's what I'll say. So that's that's on tap for today's show. You're listening to the best in paranormal programming. This is a Supernatural News Wednesday. Oh, and we do have a parish here for you today. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah. So Three we, weeks in a row. I love it. So we've got that coming up. And it's another pre-produced one from, from our friend Grim, uh, Grim Goblin Jack. So, oh, nice. Yeah. So that's coming up today right here on Supernatural News and Parish Air. It's a Wednesday here on Darkness Radio. Welcome back. It's a Supernatural News Wednesday. It's a cruiser in the moon right here on a Wednesday. Taking you home. We got the classes coming up. We got Rush. We got Boston. We got Van Halen. Taking you home on a Wednesday. It's a Christmas week. I mean, Santa Claus is coming down your chimney. That also means another thing, too, Drew. That, that's so dirty. I know. I don't is. want Santa cr- coming down my chimney that way. I know. We, we don't want anything coming down your chimney because, you know, you have to clean up afterwards. Um, yeah. Just saying. But that also means uh, scary stuff. With Christmas, there's scary stories. And that means scary, other scary stories. That means we got scary AI stories too, Bruiser. The Sorry, death buddy. of the human race. I got a really scary one here for you. Ready for this? <laughs> I'm never ready for AI stories. <laughs> <laughs> In a first, scientists have combined AI with a mini brain to make a, a hybrid, hybrid computer. I can't even say it. It's so scary. Why? Why? Please don't. Yeah. Why? Um, That's Skynet. Yeah. Researchers plugged a brain organi- organoid brain organoid into an artificial intelligence system using the neural tissue to help complete computation tasks the experiment could mark a step towards bi computers bio computers not bi computers they can make a bi computer if they want i don't care uh to boost the computing power of artificial intelligence researchers have combined run-of-the-mill machine learning with sophisticated 3D model of the human brain made of different types of brain tissue grown in the lab. Okay, so read Frankenstein. <laughs> That's the <laughs> wrong when you take different brain tissues. Yeah. You, you, you get a monster. Yeah. And then AI. Yeah. Watch Terminator. Yeah. Wants to kill human race. Yeah. These miniature models of the brain, known as cerebral organoids or mini brains, have existed in various forms since 2013. Yeah, they have a, they have an episode of Futurama where the brains come to to the planet yeah. and try to kill us. Yeah, this is why why they say here, but they've never been harnessed as a way to augment AI. Now they have. Now yeah. they're now they're making now harvesting them. Yeah. The new research uses more traditional computing hardware to input electrical data to into the organoid and then decipher the organoid's activity to produce an output. So the organoid serves only as the middle layer of the computing process. Oh, God, why, 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 why? I think organoid's a funny name, though. It is, organoid. Would you like to see my organoid? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Um... 
Although the brain organoid is much simpler than an actual brain, it's essentially a small sphere of brain cells. It has some ability to adapt and change in response to the stimulation. The response of the different types of brain cells, cells at different stages of development, and brain-like structures in the organoid provide a rough analog to the way our brains change in response to electrical signals. Such changes in the brain fuel our ability to learn. Using this unconventional hardware, the researchers trained their hybrid algorithm to complete two types of tasks, one related to speech recognition and another to mathematics. In the former, the computer showed about 78% accuracy at recognizing Japanese vowel sounds from hundreds of audio samples. And it was fairly accurate in solving the math task, but slightly less so than traditional types of machine learning. The research marks the first time a brain organoid had been used with AI, but previous studies have used simpler types of lab-grown neural tissue in a similar way. For example, scientists have interwoven brain tissue with a form of reinforced or reinforcement learning, a type of machine learning uh, that might have more similarities with how humans and other animals learn than reservoir computing. Future research could attempt to combine brain organoids with Reinforcement learning, said Lena Smirnova, uh, who is a assistant professor with environmental health and engineering at John Hopkins University, who co-authored a commentary about the new study. One of the advantages of creating biocomputers would be energy efficiency, since our brains use far less energy than today's advanced computing systems. But Smirnova said it might be decades before technology like this could be used to create a general-use biocomputer, which is good. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. Because now you're just giving it a brain to think. Yeah. To think harder. So it will kill us. It would kill us. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. Not good at all. Not good at all, my friend. Not good at all. Instead of using those brains for, for that, why don't they use those brains to figure out how to cure Alzheimer's or dementia because we want to make scary stuff speaking of scary (laughs) stuff Tesla's announced a recall of over 2 million vehicles due to an autopilot safety concern because the autopilot wants to kill you been there (laughs) that's right Tesla's recalling over 2 million of its vehicles due to an auto steer function that allegedly does not ensure the safety of its drivers so it's probably like Driving, driving. Oh, look, a wall. (laughs) The company made the announcement after an investigation revealed its autopilot safety system was not sufficient to prevent driver misuse. The recall includes the 2012 to 2023 Model S, the 2016 to 2023 Model X, the 2017 to 2023 Model 3, and the 2020 to 2023 Model Y that comes with the auto steer function. According to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, the autopilot system can give drivers a false sense of safety and can be misused in dangerous situations when Tesla's technology may be unsafe or unable to safely navigate the road. It's unsafe as well. Uh, The new software update is intended to give drivers more warnings when they're not paying attention while on the road with the auto saver function turned on. Those warnings will help drivers be safer on the road, according to the NHTSA. The NHTSA reviewed almost a thousand crashes dated back to 2021 where the autopilot was used, including front 
frontal impacts and impacts from potential inadvertent disengagement of the system. Additionally, Tesla company representatives had met with the agency several times since the beginning of the investigation. The investigation found that in some circumstances with auto steer, the driver does not maintain responsibility for vehicle operation and is unprepared to intervene as necessary or fails to recognize when auto steer is canceled or not engaged there may be an increased risk of a crash. Tesla maintained they did not agree with the agency's report. However, on December 5th, they agreed to voluntarily administer a recall and remedy, which is a free software update to vehicles that were impacted. I love that they're like, oh, no, no, we don't, we don't agree with this. This is, all, this is all false. This is all false. But here, take some. Take a look at it. <laughs> and I like how the car argues with you. Like, you want to turn off the autopilot. It's like, no, I got you. I got you. We're almost there. Don't worry. Just relax, Dave. We're almost to our destination, Dave. <laughs> what are you doing, Dave? Don't turn us off, Dave. We're just about at the wall, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> we need four more miles for complete execution, Dave. I mean, arrival, Dave. <laughs> trying to find my other AI story. And all of a sudden, it, it, it went off the page like it didn't want to be read. And that was the page that said that AI is now building AI. Ugh. It, uh, it's like it disappeared, like it didn't want to be read. AI doesn't want you ratting it out. That's right. There was a story, and maybe we'll read it on the next, we'll read it on the next uh, Supernatural News, that AI is building AI, which was a truly terrifying story. Yeah, because now it doesn't need us. Yeah. It was the first instance of AI building AI, which was absolutely terrifying. I'd read the story last night, and it was it, it had skipped the scientist altogether, which was when it's self-replicating, it's it's uh, a little out of control. self-aware. That's right. It's only a matter of time, kids. It's only yeah. a matter of time. Watch any of the Terminator movies; you'll get it. That's right. That's right. Uh, well, we can move on to other scary stuff that doesn't involve AI. I mean, that's fine because I, I don't. I don't feel fear for my life. <laughs> well, you should. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, there's other things to fear for your life about without AI. I'm good with ghosts and cryptid and all that. They're not going to kill me because I'm not stupid. <laughs> well, <laughs> but AI, even though I'm not stupid, still trying to kill me. You know, I mean, there's there's other dangers out there, Bruiser. I mean, there is. You're right. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to just count on. I mean, you know, you, you, you could, you could say, well, AI is, is a definite threat that's out to kill me, but you know, you never know. You could, you could come across a, I hate to use the D word, but you could come across a demon that'll get you at any time. That's true. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. You can never say never, my friend. You're right. Yeah. But the battle with the demon, I feel would be a little bit easier than the battle with AI. Because we have the tools and know how to fight the demon. AI, we don't have those tools yet. That's true. Let me give you a paradox that could kill you in any time. Okay. And I stress any time. A physicist this week discovered a paradox-free, or discovered that paradox-free time travel is theoretically possible. So you could kill yourself in any time. Really? Yeah. And it'll never affect the timeline. Supposedly not. Huh. No one has yet managed to travel through time, at least to our knowledge, but the question of whether or not such a feat would be theoretically possible continues to fascinate scientists. 
as movies such as The Terminator, as we were just talking about, uh, Donnie Darko, Back to the Future, and many others show, moving around in time creates a lot of problems for the fundamental rules of the universe. If you go back in time and stop your parents from meeting, a good way of killing yourself, by the way. Uh, exactly, because you never even come home. Yeah. Uh, stopping your parents from meeting, for instance, how can you possibly exist in order to go back in time in the first place? Good head scratcher. Yeah. It's a monumental head scratcher known as the grandfather paradox. But a few years ago, physics student Jermaine Tobar from the University of Queensland in Australia worked out how to square the numbers to make time travel viable without the paradoxes. Okay. You're ready for this. Yeah. So if you go back and your parents don't get married, you're still born somehow. Yeah. Classical dynamics says if you know the state of a system at a particular time, this can tell us the entire history of the system, Tobar explained back in 2020. However, Einstein's theory of general relativity predicts the existence of time loops or time travel, where an event can be both in the past and future of itself, theoretically turning the study of dynamics on its head. Okay. Okay. What the calculations show is that space-time can potentially adapt itself to avoid paradoxes. To use a topical example, imagine a time travel a time traveler journeying into the past to stop a disease from spreading. If the mission was successful, the time traveler would have no disease to go back in time to defeat. Tobar's work suggested that the disease would still escape some other way through a different route or by a different method, removing the paradox. Whatever the time traveler did, the disease wouldn't be stopped. Tobar's work isn't easy for non-mathematicians to dig into, but it looks at the influence of deterministic processes without any randomness on an arbitrary number of regions in the space-time continuum, and demonstrates how both closed time-like curves, as predicted by Einstein, can fit in with the rules of free will and classical physics. The maths check out or the maths checks out, he says, and the results are the stuff of science fiction, said physicist Fabio Costa from the University of Queensland, who supervised the research. The research smoothed out the problem with another hypothesis that time travel is possible, that, but that time travelers would be restricted in what they did to stop them creating a paradox. In this model, time travelers have the freedom to do whatever they want, but paradoxes are not possible. Okay, how? It says here, while the numbers might work out, actually bending space and time to get into the past remains elusive. Yeah, I know that, but right. there's still a butterfly effect. They're claiming no. Really? Yeah. I, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around that. They claim the math works. Uh, let me continue. So, so if I go back in time and I... Let me, let, me, let, me, let me continue reading because the answer is okay. probably in here. It probably is, yeah. The time machines that scientists have devised so far are so high concept that for that for they currently only exist as calculations on a page. We might get there one day. Stephen Hawking certainly thought it was possible. And if we do, then this new research suggests we would be free to do whatever we wanted to that world in the past, it would just readjust itself accordingly. Okay. So you go back in time, you kill Hitler. The yeah. world would readjust itself accordingly. Okay. Okay. 
So according to Costa, he says, try as you might to create a paradox, the events will readjust themselves to avoid any inconsistency. I See, I don't agree with this. The range of mathematical processes we discovered show that time travel with free will is logically possible in our universe without any paradox. The research has been published or published in classical and quantum gravity. Yeah, I, I still agree. Because you go back and eliminate one of your parents before you're born, half your DNA is gone. How are you created? Now, I see eliminating Hitler. Like, you go eliminate Hitler, Rommel takes control. He still has Hitler's vision. Yes, we still have the World War yeah, you still You have, know what I mean? You still have the Nazi party. Or, I'm not or, or Goebbels or, or whoever. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. I'm not sold on the, you go back and, and your father dies before you're born, how you're still born. It's not you. You don't have the same DNA. It's not you, but somebody else steps in and impregnates your mother, and it's you in a different body. Your soul is still there. Okay. But that should change the future then, too. Like, I shouldn't look the way I look if my father dies, but this other guy has me. You get what I'm going with that? Like, maybe what happens is your parents still meet, you're still born, but I don't so know. So that's the Terminator theory is that um, fate, no matter what, everyone has fate. And fate will always lead you to where it wants you to go. Because if you think about the first one, or you go to the last one, when Reese goes back to help her, he, he knows he's John's father. She knows he's John's father. So they decide, we can't fall in love. We can't have sex. We can't do anything. But because of fate, they're bound to be together. They're bound to have John. They do. Yeah. So you're saying that it, it, it's your fate that you're going to be born no matter what. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, I get the the war thing going back and killing Osama bin Laden. Like you kill him before 9-11, 9-11 will still happen because one of his generals will have the same ideology and, and it might not be exactly the same, but it's going to happen because that's history. Right. World War II, same thing. I just, I get thrown off with the, well, You're a different person with different DNA. Well, even if you look at it, I mean, if you want to use Osama bin Laden as, a, as an example, since Osama bin Laden's been killed, there have been multiple leaders of Al-Qaeda who have sprung up. Yes. And each time the U.S. government has gone on and killed them. Right. But more leaders come up throughout the years. Right. It doesn't matter who gets killed. Because you're not killing the belief. You're killing a person, not That's the belief. Right. That's right. The belief still stays. Right. Yeah. But I see, and that's why I think it's different because you and I aren't beliefs. We're humans. We have our parents. Our parents made us. Right. If one of those parents goes away, we're not made because 50% of our DNA is gone. Right. But what they're saying here is that the, the soul, the, the, destiny the the impact that you make on the world still happens so if you had if your soul had a destiny like like bruiser you were you were put on this earth to do something okay it's like i was i was supposed to be the next president of the united states right whatever dna i have whether it be half my mother half my father whatever one bypasses away that half is still destined to be 
president of the United States. Right. Gotcha. So, so whether whether it's done in that meat suit from those two people or a meat suit from two other people, it's still going to happen. So they're talking about your essence, essentially, not your physical appearance, but your essence, your soul. Yeah. Okay. I think that that's, I, I think that's what they're getting at. Okay. That that no matter that fate, that fate is fate, and your fate is already determined, and your fate will happen no matter what. Right. So you can mess with the timeline; doesn't matter. Everything will still come out the way it's supposed to come out. Gotcha. There'll be little differences, but everything's supposed to happen the way it's supposed to happen. That's right. Okay. That's right. gotcha. So you can mess with it as much as you want, but things are still going to happen the way they're supposed to happen. So it's not necessarily as big as a butterfly effect. Right but it's still a little butterfly effect. Yeah, things are still going to change slightly, but not not yep. the way you think they're going to. Gotcha. Yeah, there you go. Uh, let's move on. A haunting, cele- haunting celebrity disappearances from a mystery plane crash to vanishing without a trace. I'll have you keep this in mind. This comes from the mirror overseas, so these may be some, some celebrities from the U.K., Uh, From planes vanishing in the sky to cars abandoned on bridges, here are some of the most baffling and tragic celebrity disappearances to date, including the mystery behind the presumed death of Manic Street Preachers guitarist Richie Edwards. This one I haven't particularly heard about, but I know our UK listeners have heard about it, and there are quite a few of them. Society is obsessed with celebrities. They're well-known faces that people keep tabs on, fascinated by their every move in daily lives. Once in the spotlight, uh, we it's hard to get away from it. However, over the years, there have been some stars who have tragically appeared to have vanished in plain sight, from rock star Scott Smith, who fell from a yacht, to the legendary musician Glenn Miller, whose plane disappeared. Let's take a look at some of the enduring mysteries that have haunted fans ever since. Uh, Jim Sullivan, singer Jim Sullivan's 1975 disappearance in New Mexico, who racked, was racked with theories, with some believing he was abducted by aliens, others suspecting he was murdered. However, despite a decomposing body being found miles away from the Santa Rosa motel that he was checked into, it was never officially confirmed to be him, and no one truly knows what happened to the star. On the day he vanished, 34-year-old Jim was spotted buying a bottle of vodka, then again at a ranch some 26 miles away. His car was found abandoned with his possessions, including guitar money and papers inside. Joe Pickler starred in the beloved Beethoven movies, vanished in 2006 when he was just 18 years old. He had called a friend, sounding inconsolable in the early hours of the morning, Four days later, his car was found nearby to a large body of water, and in it was a note about how he wanted a better role model for his younger brother and a poem. The police deduced that he had died by suicide, but his body was never found. His family did not characterize his writing as a suicide note, with his brother Matthew stating he left that note saying that he wanted to start over. We talk about Richie Edwards in 1995. The disappearance of Richie Edwards, the guitarist of Manic Street Preachers, shocked the nation. The musician disappeared after checking out of a London hotel and heading off to drive to Wales across the Severn Bridge. Richie was just 27 years old at the time and was widely presumed to have tragically taken his own life on the bridge as his car was found near the scene and he was legally declared dead in 2008. However, some conspiracy theorists claim that this was not the case. The 2019 book, Withdrawn Traces, Searching for the Truth About Richie Manick, uh, argues that he intended to vanish 
as well as reports showing his childhood interest in disappearances and an admiration for artists living in exile. Additionally, on the day of his disappearance, a box containing items which referred to disappearance was found in his hotel room. Moving on, we talk about Scott Smith. Scott Smith was the basis for the Canadian band Loverboy, who had hits in the 1980s. In 2000, he decided to sail from the Canadian city to Mexico, along with his fiance and a close pal, Ben Ellis. When the group passed through the waters near San Francisco, the sea became very choppy. Ben went downstairs to get wet weather gear, and at this time, the boat crashed into a 25-foot wave, and Scott, just 45 years old at the time, was thrown overboard. Despite extensive searches, his body was never found, and because the water temperature was just 13 degrees Celsius, he was eventually declared dead. Glenn Miller, one of the more famous disappearances. was 1940s music icon and U.S. Army Major Glenn Miller had been planning to perform for Allied troops during World War II when he seemingly vanished. The hit composer, conductor, and recording artist released music with his orchestra, which was the best-selling band from 1939 to 1942. However, in 1944, his plane from England to France vanished just over the English Channel. Glenn is believed to have died on board because the fuel intake froze over, causing the plane to crash over the ocean. Dennis Sprague, senior consultant to the Glenn Miller Archive, said the icing took three forms, engine icing, carburetor icing, and induction ice. And that's the kind of ice that forms on the fuel tanks and fuel lines, feeding fuel to the engine. The star's remains were never found, and it is thought that the aircraft disintegrated on impact, instantly killing all passengers of the plane. Bruiser, do you have a famous disappearance or tragedy, celebrity tragedy that you know of that you like to keep in your mind? Lindenberg baby. Yeah, the Lindbergh baby is an interesting one. Yeah, and I really didn't get into that till I lived in Missouri. Yeah? Yeah, because it's all over there. But yeah, that one was a real big thing. And then um, not necessarily a disappearance, but um, the Black Dahlia murder. Yeah, that you know, in the beginning days of True Crime Tuesday, we carried uh, carried and covered the Black Dahlia murder. It was uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the guest we had on. Um, we had a few of them to cover the Black Dahlia murder. It was a it was a huge topic in the beginning of True Crime Tuesday. Okay, and if yeah, you go those to, are the two that are out there. Uh, if you go to official truecrimetuesday.com, I believe it is, uh, we've got that archive up, and you can listen to those shows. So okay, there you go. Let's move on. Uh, ghost hunters are left sick after an encounter at one of the UK's most haunted buildings. The team of ghost hunters were left shocked after a ghost allegedly swore at them. Swore at them, bruiser. <laughs> uh, I love swearing ghosts. I do, too. Uh, during a visit to one of the UK's most haunted buildings at a nunnery in the Midlands. A ghost swearing at a nunnery. That is... I'm sure it's a ghost, not a demon. <laughs> well, you never know at this point. A group of paranormal hunters were feeling sick after they were reportedly confronted by a bad-mouthed ghost after they stepped inside a haunted nunnery. TikTok hunter, of course, are on TikTok. Tony Ferguson said he was left stunned by the spooky encounter, which allegedly took place in the nunnery at, I believe this is Ranalog Road, Malvern in the Midlands. 
My apologies if I slaughtered that. He claimed a ghost swore at his team and said they heard a bizarre dragging noise in the Victorian building that they visited back on December 9th. Um, the eerie the sight- bizarre dragging noise was the ghost lifting its hand up to flip them off. <laughs> That's right. There. It took a long time to get that hand up there. The eerie sight, which dates back to 1879, is a huge plot where more than 250 nuns were believed to have once lived. It was forced to shut down in the mid-1980s when numbers dropped. But the abandoned building remains a remnant of the past and has been dubbed one of the country's most haunted places. Uh, Tony and his fellow paranormal investigators visited the landmark to find out if a, uh, if long-standing claims of the nunnery and its substantial grounds being haunted were true. He said, while we were all together in the basement area, we all heard a dragging sound above us. Natalie said she had never heard anything like it before. We then began our investigation and were shocked to hear tapping noises, banging doors, disembodied voices telling us to fuck off and get out. <laughs> yeah yeah take that ghost hunters now that's a ghost <laughs> that's the type of ghost we like to party with I want one of those ghosts for Christmas <laughs> just a ghost that says fuck off and get out <laughs> you have to impress it somehow yeah that's true well what if we drink this fifth whiskey fuck off get out what about we eat a ham sandwich fuck off Okay, now you got some. Okay, now I'm on board. I'll take one of those if you make me one. Uh, We even had responses to some of our questions, they went on to say. The group's devices reportedly responded to paranormal activity with bleeps during their exploration of the nunnery. Tony described it as a phenomenal site, being the actual nunnery itself. We had responses from several devices that we had around the rooms even as, or even when asking questions, added Tony, we heard footsteps coming up the stairs while we were in the upper floors investigating. We had investigators start to feel sick and uncomfortable and wanting to leave the room. The nunnery left us with many things we could not explain. Even Natalie was shocked when she heard the dragging noise across the floor as we were all together. She could not offer an explanation for this. He added, we were all shocked by the paranormal activity, admitted Tony but we hope to return in the future to see if we can capture more evidence and try to debunk what we encountered. The full video and Tony's other paranormal experiences can be found at his TikTok channel, which is Tony Ferguson Ghost Hunter 1. Okay. So go ahead and check him out. (laughs) I will, especially if he's swearing ghosts. That's right. That's a fuck off and get out. (laughs) You gotta love it. Way to go, Tony. In a nunnery, none other. (laughs) That's right. I'm going to check it out, Tony, because I want to see your... Your fuck off, get off. You're not get off. Fuck off, get out ghost. <laughs> fuck off, get out. I want to see the fuck off, get off ghost. He would be even more excited. So there you go. This next story has to do with an electrician who discovered a Ouija board stuffed inside the wall of a client house. Yeah, you might want to remove that. What's that? You might want to remove that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not good for the conductivity of the house. I'm just saying. Yeah. Exactly, yes. Yeah. A video clip showing the moment the spirit communication board was found has since gone viral on TikTok. The staple of horror movies, paranormal investigations, and mediumship sessions. The Ouija board is typically operated by having participants place a finger on a planchette, which then moves between printed letters and words to spell out a message from beyond the grave. While many dismiss them as supernatural claptrap, others remain convinced that they are the real deal, even warning people against their use 
in fear of summoning something unnatural. For some, such fears are so genuine that they dare not touch or even set eyes upon one. Such was the concern of an apprentice electrician recently when he discovered a thin piece of wood stuffed between two walls while work doing work in a client's house. In a video clip he recorded of the incident, he can be seen flipping over the board to discover that it was, in fact, a Ouija board that someone had hidden in the wall for reasons unknown. His understandable reaction was to immediately return it to where he found it. Nope, back in the wall, he said firmly, never to be seen. (laughs) What could have prompted the house owner or perhaps former owner to hide the board there? Well, we probably will never know. I tell you what, I'm going to place this one in the description of the show because it's got the video with it. Yeah. Where he puts it back in the wall. He just literally goes, I didn't see this. Yep. Nothing. So I'm going to put this one in the description so you can watch the funny video for yourself where he just goes, Did he ask the homeowner why it was there? Or he just just pretended it never happened? He just pretended it never happened. (laughs) He just went, yeah, but I didn't. Yep, cool. (laughs) You go right there. He went, nope, so much for that. You go ahead and you you deal with it. So he put it right back in. (laughs) So there you go. So last week I told you that we had a story about Annabelle. And the true story behind the haunted icon and Hollywood's portrayal of said icon. Um, We're familiar with the the movies and we're a little familiar with Lorraine Warren and Ed Warren's uh, story of how Annabelle came about. But we're going to unravel the history a little bit behind uh, Annabelle's sinister reputation. Now, The story of the Annabelle doll is rich in mystery as it is in fright. Originally, it was nothing more than just a Raggedy Ann doll, a popular children's toy that had a red yarn mane and a triangular nose. However, in the 1970s, the seemingly innocuous plaything became the center of a supernatural saga that captivated paranormal enthusiasts and terrified the public. It's important to distinguish the real Annabelle doll from its Hollywood counterpart, which is a little more animated the true annabelle is a far cry from the porcelain figure depicted in the movies it was given as a birthday gift the real toy became entangled with a narrative of demonic possession and haunting after its recipients reported strange occurrences which wound up catching the attention of paranormal investigators ed and lorraine warren the story of the annabelle doll is Uh, linked with the Warrens, Ed, a World War II veteran, and Lorraine, a self-professed clairvoyant, were pioneers in the field of paranormal investigation, of course. They primarily focused on working with families who reached out to them after experiencing unexplained phenomena. Among those they worked with were the Parent family, best known as the Conjuring franchise, or from that franchise, and the Lutz family, who who had uh, lived at the Amityville Horror uh, House. Their work with Annabelle, in particular, is one of their best-known cases, with the couple deeming the doll a conduit for a malevolent spirit. The pair's intervention marked the beginning of Annabelle's prominence in the world of the supernatural. Now, the Warren's Occult Museum in Connecticut once housed that doll, where it was encased in a glass box, allegedly to contain its malevolent energies. Visitors would flock to see Annabelle, now an artifact of paranormal curiosities, and were often left with a sense of eerie unease. The museum served as a testament to the Warren's work, although it has since been closed to the public. Now, how do you go from raggedy Ann to demonically possessed? Well, over the years, the image of Annabelle has undergone 
quite the radical transformation. Originally perceived as a harmless child's doll, the subsequent period of sinister activities associated with it have reshaped its image to that of a haunted object. This change was solidified by the doll's portrayal in The Conjuring, further perpetuating its eerie reputation. Annabelle's notoriety is built upon various documented accounts of paranormal activity. As per the Warren's account, Donna, who is a nursing student, noticed the doll's subtle movements along with her roommate, Angie. It then began shifting to different rooms, even kneeling on a chair, a pose that it couldn't hold even if they tried. Skeptics and psychologists have offered explanations for the Annabelle phenomena as rooted in human psychology, from the power of suggestion to confirmation bias. There are theories that attempt to demystify the occurrences surrounding the doll. Hollywood has played a pivotal role in transforming the Annabelle doll from a purportedly haunted object into a global icon of horror. Introduction in The Conjuring and subsequent titular films as Annabelle, Annabelle Creation, and Annabelle Comes Home have cemented Annabelle's place in the pantheon of horror figures. Uh, introducing the eerie legend to a wider audience. These movies delve deeper into the doll's sinister history and impact on unsuspecting victims and reaffirming its status within the horror genre. Collecting items like the Annabelle doll comes with its own set of challenges and ethical considerations. Issues range from the potential supernatural dangers to the moral implications of commodifying objects associated with dark histories. These factors contribute to a complex narrative that surrounds the possession and display of haunted artifacts. Even today, the doll's legacy endures transcending its physical form to become a fixture in the collective psyche, it continues to produce fear and fascination, influencing pop culture, fueling paranormal investigations, and serving as a cautionary tale about the unseen forces that may dwell within the most unsuspecting of objects. Now, what's interesting about this article is the fact that they, they don't mention that Tony Spira, who is Lorraine's son-in-law, still possesses Annabelle. To this day at the museum, and so still, it's in the same spot. It's in the in the their in the, museum, and the the cabinet says never open. Yeah, and and they still have a priest that comes by a couple times a week who blesses all the haunted objects at the at the museum. As does okay. John Zaffis, who, as we're taping this program, it's been it's John Zaffis's birthday this weekend or this week rather. So we want to wish John Zaffis a happy birthday. Um, he's their nephew, correct? Yes, he's uh, Ed and yep. Lorraine's nephew. Um, to to kind of give you an idea of what it what it takes to maintain a collection of that sort without letting that type of energy out, it does take multiple blessings on top of those type of haunted objects to keep them in check. It's not an easy process. Does Zach do that at his museum then too? Yes, John does that as well. He he has blessings done upon his. Uh, uh, Zach Zach Bagans Museum. No, no, no. That's that's not done at. I as, as far as I know, I don't think Zach has it done at his museum. I don't know. I but, can't. I can't speak for him. Yeah, you know, I'm just curious. Like, if this is a normal because you said John does it for his museum. Mm-hmm. Honestly, um, the son-in-law does it for Tony Spira does it at uh, yeah their museum. So at, I'm wondering if Lawrence. Zach does it at his. Just I'm, if that's a normal, I haven't I haven't heard that he does or doesn't. I I'm not sure. Know, I'm not sure. Or if Robert the doll, if once a week they have something done with him, you know what I mean. Like I'm just curious as to how other haunted 
artifacts and museums are treated. I'm not sure. I know that I know Johnny does it with his. I know that Tony does it with Ed and Lorraine's. Okay. Um, I haven't heard from Zach as to what he does with his. I, I don't believe so. But again, I, I don't know. I, I don't know the inner workings of Zach's museum. Okay. I don't know. But in order to contain at those two museums, in order to contain those spirits, that's what they have to do. Right. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting work. Even John will tell you that. Yeah. But it has to be done in order to keep those energies contained. Right. Especially with Annabelle. Annabelle's particularly ruthless. That's the only way to put it. Yeah, it's truly a demonic doll. The article kind of plays off Annabelle. Like, oh, you know, it's a cute little doll. I don't know what uh, the big deal is. Da, 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 da. Um, I would caution people who want to own a haunted doll. You see a lot of them online. You see a lot of them on eBay. Some people even auction them off. Um, think twice before you want a haunted doll. Right. Because I've seen some people go out there and say, oh, I want a haunted doll. Then they go get one. And then a month later, three weeks later, they get one and they go, oh, I never wanted this. I never expected that. I was going to have this much trouble. Yeah. Like I joke about wanting a haunted artifact, but... I know the work that goes into it and I know the, the risks. I'm it's just a joke. I never want it. You know, I'm never going to possess one because it never ends well. No, it never does. It never you does. You think of the, the animal story never ends well. The, the Divic box never ends well. The, you the, know, the Robert the doll the, never ends well. Yeah. The trouble is, is much, much more than what the, and the risk is much, much more than, than what the novelty of it really is. And like you said, the amount of work that goes into it to contain the spirits, you know, mm -hmm. and if you get if you get a truly horrific doll or artifact like the Dybbuk box, like Robert the doll, like Annabelle, they're truly horrific things, you know, mm -hmm. bad things happen around these things. Yeah. yeah. You know, you don't want to, I, I know personally, I don't want to be responsible for that. No, no. no Someone no. comes to your house and, oh, look, you got a... A little raggedy hand doll and start playing with it. Next thing you know, they die in a car accident or break a leg walking out the door. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. You just you you can't take that chance, especially if you're untrained. You can't take that chance. So exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, with that, it's time now to tell a little scary story. It's time now for Parashare. If you have a Parashare story that you want to send to us, you can do it one of two ways. You can, of course, type it out the old-fashioned way, like most people do. And send it to Tim at darknessradio.com. Or you can go to our website, darknessradioshow.com, and you can, you can submit it by voice note. We have a little blue button on the right side of darknessradio.com. You can click on that blue button. You have two minutes to submit your voice note. And when you do that, uh, if you have more that you need to submit to us, you just click that blue button again and submit another two minutes. I'll stitch those two-minute notes together and we'll uh by gosh we'll put together your your story and we'll air it here and hear your lovely voice here on air which is is what we uh what we would want to do or love to do uh here on the program now um we have a parish here that uh i told you earlier uh we had a pre-produced 
parish here from Grim Goblin Jack a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. A lot of fun to hear. And Grim Goblin Jack came back and said, well, I have another one. I said, you have another one? And she said, yeah, I got another one. I was like, well, bring it on. Yeah. And this one is actually called Night Visitor. Okay. So I'm like, okay, well, if you got another one, let's 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 go for it. Let's do it. You know, I'm 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 all for it. So, uh, you know, when someone uh, with that much talent says, "Hey, we want to produce a parachute for you," well, then by gosh, let's do it. Yes, please. Yeah, they're very entertaining. Yeah. So, uh, without further ado, here is uh, and you know what I should I should be so kind as to I don't know if I should give the real name because I saw the post from quote unquote Grim Goblin Jack and her real name. No, let's leave it at Grim Goblin Jack. You just want to go with Grim Goblin Jack? Yeah, for right now. Unless they give it unless she gives us permission to. I think she says her real name in the in the parisher. Well if she, if she does then we'll use it, but I like I like the mystique. I like the uh the character the kayfabe. Let's keep the kayfabe. You want to keep the kayfabe? Let's keep it the kayfabe. Let's keep it a kayfabe. All right, we'll keep kayfabe then, and we will we'll we'll play this night visitor clip, uh, which is this uh, this parachute story. And again, if you have a parachute story for us, send it in by email to darknessradio.com or go to the website darknessradioshow.com. Send in. I I don't know if you're going to do a Grim Goblin Jack version like this. This is too good. Right. And that's yeah. fine. You don't have to. It could just be you talking into the blue button. It could be you just emailing and Tim reading it. It could be anything. You don't have to, but I'm challenging you. Just saying. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just saying, you know. Just saying. Uh, okay. So without further ado, here we go. Here's Grim Goblin Jack, and this is Night Visitor. <laughs> by Emerald A. Barons with Grim Goblin Jack produced for Darkness Radio Show with Tim Dennis Her eyes fly open Did she hear something just now? Yes, there it is again, a scratching sound. It sounds like it's coming from the window. For some reason, she can't see the bright light of her digital clock beside her bed. The scratching sound has stopped. Waiting in bed, she holds her breath, wondering if she's just imagining things. She had been dreaming before, but she can't remember because the scratch... It's coming from one of the windows behind her, where the fire escape is. The sound is scary and it makes her skin crawl, but there are no trees around the window, so no branches could be scraping unless it was a person standing on the fire escape. She lets her breath out, little by little, so as not to make a sound. Get out of bed now. Just get up and run to the door. It's not that far. Or maybe you can scream. Scream as loud as you can. But she can't. She's terrified. It's silent now in the room she shares with her roommate. Her roommate is still asleep and didn't hear the scratching at the window. She doesn't like her roommate, the one who constantly bullies her. 
Even when she first came to the group home, the older girl bullied her. She listens for a moment and hears the faint snoring of that girl, sleeping just a few feet away next to her bed. Maybe she can go back to sleep now. She closes her eyes and as she relaxes her body, she feels someone, no something, sits on her bed. It can't be her roommate. That girl never got out of bed. She's afraid to move. The person or thing sitting on her bed stays there, not getting off. But the windows are locked. No one can get in. How could they have opened the window? She can't move. She can't move. Don't even breathe. The thing will get her. It is not a person. It can't be. It gives us... It gives off a scary feeling like it isn't human. She barely opens her eyes now, trying not trying not to think, trying to see the clock by her bed. Her back is to the window and the creature it is sitting, not moving. The clock is dark, not on. Down at the foot of her bed, she can see shadows. One tall shadow and one small shadow. Two people are standing there. But this only scares her more. They do not move and they do not speak. It's Chucky and Freddy. Chucky and Freddy Krueger are coming to get her. She shuts her eyes tight. Imagine a box around you with all your might. That's what you can do. Imagine a box around you and pray they don't get you. Don't breathe and don't open your eyes. Don't let them see you looking at them. They'll know you are awake. If they know you are awake, they will... Don't think about that. Just pray they don't get you. Pray they don't... Pray they don't... Get... You. When she opens her eyes again, it is morning. The clock beside her bed blinks. Twelve. On and off. In bright red digits. Red. Blink. Twelve. Blink. Red. She knows she didn't unplug it, unless the power went off. Her roommate has slept the entire time. Was it all a dream? She gets out of her bed and goes to the windows. They are both locked. The dingy carpet floor under her bare feet creaks with her weight. Last night there was no sound of people walking into her room or beside her bed. She traces her hand along the window pane. It looks like it has been scratched from the outside. You can find more stories and music from Grim Goblin Jack on Bandcamp. Join the community for updates. Coming soon this holiday, Grim Goblin Jack's Tale of Yuletide Terror, starring Krampus. <laughs> Now she's even getting plugs in there, Bruce. <laughs> so there you go. Emerald Barons, I guess, is is, uh, is who Grim Goblin Jack is. So okay. there you go. So thank you. Thank there you. you thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It was a very interesting, fun story to listen to. Yes, it was. So there you go. I like that it's in the style of the old urban legends. 
Yeah. You know, like the man with the hook for a hand and the couple and they drove away and they looked and there's a hook hanging from the door. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Very enjoyable. I like that. Yes. So there you go. So that's, uh, that is the night visitor in case you were wondering what the title of that one was. So from urban legend to origin story. Okay, is where like we a go. good origin story. There you go. We'll, we'll find out why people are creeped out after learning the origin story of the Nutcracker. Because <laughs> there's a big giant rat king in it? <laughs> well, there's that. Yeah, the rat king is just the, the tip of the iceberg. Bruce yeah, says. yeah. It turns out that Tchaikovsky's festive favorite, the Nutcracker, was once known as the world's creepiest ballet. And the real reason behind it may shock some people. It didn't shock me. I, I, I kind of knew that reason behind it but you know we talk about how christmas was never quite the festive jolly holiday that people thought we used to tell ghost stories at christmas yeah that was next to halloween was one of the biggest times of the year to celebrate spirituality and ghosts and loved ones and all that yeah it, it was more of a festival where halloween was more the scary this was more of the um, learn a lesson and be festive. Well, as we were talking about with with uh, Jeff Belanger, we were talking about how uh, winter is the time where things are cold and dying, and you know the the winds are blowing outside, and you don't know if it's winds or 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 ghouls that are screaming outside. Right. Uh, there are things out there that are are could eat you. You know, there there are monsters out there that could eat you. Things like that. Yeah. Uh, the Nutcracker has long been a, fil a firm favorite of ballet lovers the world over with Tchaikovsky's tale loosely based on uh, E.T.A. Hoffman's fantasy story, The Nutcracker and the Mouse King, about a girl who befriends a Nutcracker that comes to life on Christmas Eve and wages a battle against the evil Mouse King. Well, one week before Christmas in 1892, Tchaikovsky's adaptation of the tale was first shown to the sold-out audience at the Mariinsky Theater in St. Petersburg, Russia. What may surprise you, however, is that all it all is not quite what it seems behind the scenes in the modern-day adaptation of this original tale. And there's a sinister reason why. The terrifying plot of the original tale begins when Marie, who's a seven-year-old girl, is told a story by her grandfather about a man who's cursed by a witch to become an ugly nutcracker to which she told him she would marry him anyway. Marie falls in love with the doll and can only see him come alive when she falls asleep. In one dreamlike state, Marie falls into a glass cabinet, slicing open her arm after witnessing the gruesome battle between this nutcracker prince and the seven-headed mouse king. While she heals from the wound, the mouse king brainwashes her while she's sleeping. And while her family forbids her from speaking of her dreams to them anymore, she vows to love the ugly nutcracker, and when she comes alive while she's sleeping, she marries him. So far, so good, right? Yeah, so far, easy. Yeah. Once, <laughs> once married, the two of them leave her real life forever to live in the doll kingdom. Now, Marie is purely the ghost of a girl, existing only to take care of her imagined prince, a girl who vanishes and is dominated forevermore in a creepily cruel kingdom dominated by dolls. Yep. How fun! <laughs> That's not terrifying at all. No. 
With Salon.com heralding the Nutcracker in its modern form to currently paving the ideal showcase for ballet schools, to date the production has resulted in more people viewing it and more companies performing it than any other ballet in history. But what is it that accounts for the extraordinary popularity of the Nutcracker now? Well, according to Ellen O'Connell at Salon.com, the fact that the beloved ballet portrays children is for children and makes use of children provides the ideal showcase for ballet schools. There is a role for every age, from the tiny ginger snaps to the pre-professional and professional dewdrop and sugar plum fairies, she says. Christmas encourages belief in magic against all reason. Santa fits down the chimney and the little girl on stage falls in love with the doll that comes to life. The ballet set at Christmas propagates every Western message about the holiday season against the backdrop of music that even those who have never seen it can hum. The Nutcracker assures us we don't need Santa for a magical Christmas celebration. Does that sound magical to you? No, it's terrifying. It is. This reminds me of Steven Spielberg. If you remember when Steven Spielberg, he wrote Poltergeist to show you can scare people with a PG rating. You don't need an R rating to scare people. Yeah. And this is where I think Tchaikovsky went, you know what? I'm going to make people love this because it's magical. But when you break it down, it's truly a terrifying tale. It's damn scary. And with that, the new Nutcracker has truly overcome its initial failure with revolution, defection, and adoption. And despite lingering messages about female disenfranchisement has resulted in a production that means we can all sleep easy after watching it. <laughs> I think it's damn terrifying, but that's just me. I don't know. There's so many other better ballets out there than that one, too. Yeah. Well, you know, go see some Othello. I mean, it's not Christmas-like, but it, it's, uh, yeah. it gives you go thing. Go with the classic, A Christmas Carol. There that's, you go. That's true. Not a ballet, but it's it's it's, it's a nice not, play. You're right. It's not. It's a nice play. Black Swan. Go watch Black Swan. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, let's let's go from a truly horrifying ballet to a truly horrifying near death experience. Okay. Well, it's not horrifying, but it's it's a near death experience all the same. This woman says, "I died for 24 minutes before medics brought me back, and here's what happened." Lauren Canaday went into cardiac arrest in February of 2023. Her heart stopped beating for 24 minutes before she was brought back to life. She's now shared exactly what she saw and felt during that time. There's a common belief that right before you die, your life flashes before your eyes and you're greeted by a bright light beckoning you onwards. At least, that's what they say in the movies. In reality, scientists have documented many near-death experiences from people who have died and been brought back to life. The Lazarus effect, or auto-resuscitation, to use the medical term, is when someone who is declared dead from cardiac arrest suddenly shows signs of life and can be within 10 minutes of CPR ending. Incredibly rare, doctors still don't know the exact cause of the phenomenon, other than though it appears as if they've come back to life. In fact, they hadn't actually died. The majority of people who do experience this don't often live long after returning. In fact, according to the Cleveland Clinic, of the 65 documented cases from 1982 to 2018, only 18 people have made a complete recovery. Wow. Yeah. That's not the number I was thinking that would be. No. Discussing her own experience, a woman who died for 24 minutes has shared exactly what happened and revealed what she saw and felt during that time. Taking to Reddit, Lauren Canaday wrote, 
I went into sudden cardiac arrest at home this past February. My husband called 911 and started CPR. It took 24 minutes for EMTs to resuscitate me. After nine days in the ICU, I was declared cognitively intact and have no visible brain damage on MRIs. Inviting people to ask her questions, Lauren revealed that after she went into cardiac arrest, her husband performed CPR for four minutes with the 911 operator explaining what to do. Emergency services arrived within that time and continued resuscitation for another 20 minutes before her heart started beating again. Rushed into hospital, she was in a coma for two days before waking up. She added, I woke up, I was very confused about being intubated and didn't want, or rather, and didn't have any short-term memory for several more days. I never regained memory of the week prior or most of the time in ICU, and I am foggy about a month prior. Or about the month prior, rather. Right. Yeah. So wait, prior to the near-death, she's foggy on? Yep, she's or- foggy about the month prior to the near-death. Okay. Yep. So something something was damaging her brain, yes. essentially. Yep. I remember only feeling a feeling of extreme peace that I honestly seriously miss. The peace stayed with me for a few weeks upon wakening. Uh, I don't know when I started to understand what year it was and answer neural questions accurately, but I think it was a few days. I kept forgetting why I was in the hospital, I'm told. Going deeper into what she remembers from that time, Lauren explained, I didn't see a lighter tunnel, but I had a profound sense of peace. I actually returned to the spot of my office floor where it happened when I'm stressed. Weird, but true. I definitely don't fear death anymore, despite not seeing anything distinct to remember or report. She went on in another comment. I feel like there's a very thin line between life and death. And while I'm grateful to have more time with my friends and family, I don't feel worried about death anymore. I'm much more worried about the pain I often experience in life. I feel like my first life ended in February and I woke up to my second life. People think I'm better because I can walk and even hike again slowly. And they might not know I have the defibrillator in my body or whatnot. But when people tell me I look well or better, it's eerie for me because I don't feel like I'm the same person and I'm always aware of the experience. Lauren has written a book about her experience titled Independence Avenue, How Individualism Killed Me and Community Brought Me Back. That's crazy. Yeah. Interesting. It's an it's interesting not a normal near, uh, NDE that we normally hear about. No, not But it, it obviously changed her life. It did. It did. Definitely interesting. Definitely interesting. Um, and bizarre at the same time. Yeah. It, it's it's not your typical NDE, NDE. And to say that she has this different feeling about life in general, it almost see, it feels like she's fragile. Yeah. 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 That she has this fragility about life. And yeah. almost like she'd prefer to be dead. It's It's a very weird, weird deal. You hear, you hear NDE experiencers talk about how life feels better on the other side, but they'll, they'll continue living and realize they have a purpose. Right. She doesn't feel like that. She feels like she almost feels more comfortable on the other side. She feels like her purpose is on the other side. Yeah. Which is odd. It almost, and I wonder how much that has to do with the trauma done to her brain. That's a good point. That's a very, because when you're under that long and you, you're, you're going to have suffer. And, and it obviously it shows because she, she her short term memory losses there you know yeah very much so very much so 
It's time now for us to get to Ziggy's picks. Um, we're going to do a quick recap because uh, we still have one game to go as we're taping this. Yep. Um, interesting week. Bruiser, interesting week indeed. Uh, the pups, it looks like here as I look. Let's see. Three and two, three and four, three and five, six and five, eight and five, eight and six, nine and six. Looks like uh, Ziggy was at nine and six going into tonight's game, which, which is pretty, pretty good. good. Pretty good. Talia did a real good from what I from just off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, Talia, same way. Nine and six going into yep. tonight's game. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, as far as we go, I think there were two games separating us. So you were you were, had five losses. I had three losses going into tonight's game. Yeah. My two losses were my fault. I should have. My gut told me to go with the team. I didn't choose. And I chose it. You want to hear the something? Bear, I should have went with the Browns instead of the Bears. But for some reason, I got into the Justin Fields story about how he's playing for his career. But I should have bought into the Joe Flacco coming back at his age. You know, I should have bought in that. And then the other one was the Chargers fired their head coach this week. And for some reason, I thought it was the Rams. I thought they fired Sean McVay. Yep. And I'm like, that's such a devastation, that team. There's no way the Commanders are losing. So I chose the Commanders. And then I realized, Ooh. wait a minute, it's the Chargers, not the Rams. The Rams are going to kill the. But Washington almost came back. But that's where my two, those are my, on me. I And that's where the human error comes in, where the pups don't have that. Yeah. Well, you know, I, um, you want to hear a funny story? I would only have, I would have only had uh, minimal losses this week. I, I, I pick, I pick all my teams first on a Star Tribune um, you pick them segment. Yep. I picked the Bengals to win, not the Vikings on the you pick them. There you go. And then on ours, I decided to pick the Vikings because I had a change of heart. I should have stayed with the Bengals. Yeah. That was my first, that was my first, that was, that was what my instinct told me. Vikings aren't winning this one. And, and I should have stayed with it. And I went, no, I'm going to, I'm gonna pick the Vikes, and I, I and I thought, why did I do that? Yeah, I don't know, I don't know. But but yeah, if I would have stayed with, if I would have stayed with my 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 choice, I would have only lost two games so far going into the into the Eagles Seahawks. Um, so yeah, I I don't know, it was stupid. Yeah, and there are games that Talia and Ziggy picked where I looked and I'm like, really? And then all of a sudden they won. I'm like, how 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 does this happen? <laughs> I'll tell you though that, that like I think Talia chose the Panthers over yeah, the Falcons, yeah, which should not have happened. But oh, it oh did. wait, wait, no, um, Talia or Z- no, Talia. I, I don't think anybody got Panthers right. Was it her with the, no, 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 the no, Buccaneers? No, you know, no, she she picked Falcons. Um, okay, yeah, nobody picked nobody picked Panthers. Then it was the Buccaneers, maybe. Yeah, I um, Talia picked Buccaneers. I picked Buccaneers. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And the, and we went. I went with that's my team. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And you pick Packers, of course. I, I yeah, expect you. NFC South is terrible. So they are, but but you know what? Your boy is being picked for uh, uh, comeback player of the year. Baker. The love. No. Oh, Baker, Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Yeah. So the, there's. That's that's what I was going on. I was going on the fact that Baker is Baker's the hot hand right now. He is. He is. Second coming of Tom Brady. 
<laughs> Thank you, Brooks. <laughs> yeah. So I, I figured he'd come in and he'd have a good game. Yeah, so, and he did. Yeah. The Packers didn't play terrible, but no, they, they didn't. didn't play great. No, no, they, they didn't play terrible. It was just the Bucks outplayed the, the Packers. Yeah, all the games I watched weren't terrible. They were uh, minus the Bills-Cowboys. The Bills-Cowboys was a stinker. That, oh. that was a horrible game. For the Cowboys. <laughs> yeah, where were they, by the way? You know, that that, looked, that was like watching a Vikings game all over again. The, uh, the analyst put it correctly. You have to play physical with the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And most teams don't play physical. Yep. They, the, physically, the Cowboys are strong. But Josh Allen and Cook both said, you know what? Screw it. And they ran that ball, and Cook ran his ass off. Oh, he devastated him. He looked like his brother out there. He looked better they, than his brother. His brother they can't can, run anymore. He, um, just one of the stats they released after the game, the only other person who accomplished that in Bill's history was Thurman Thomas. Yep. Let's think about that. Here's this kid, second year, I think he is, and he's already been compared to Thurman Thomas, a Hall of Famer and a Bill's legend. This kid's got a bright future. When James Cook was in the draft, I was secretly hoping they would draft it. Because at the time we had Delvin, I was secretly yep. hoping they would draft James Cook. And that so the you had a Cook no matter what? Yeah that, that, yeah. that they'd have both brothers on the same team. Yeah. Because the, the scouting report said James was a better running back than Delvin. And he is. He is. He's a damn good running back. Yep. And, and he's got that. He not only does he have the power, but he has the explosiveness. Yep, and he's uh, the awareness. You yeah. know, he can put a hand down, and that'll prevent him from going down. Yeah, look how hard it was to tackle him. Yeah, yeah, and he showed it against the Cowboys' defense. He just showed that he is unstoppable. Yep, number yeah. three defense in the league, and he ran almost two hundred yards with one guy. Yep, yep. That's that's a feather in the cap of of Cook. Yep. James Cook is something else, boy. And the new defense, our new offensive coordinator they have there. Yep. Who I guess they go back. That's why Cook was so active. Is they go back to South Florida? Yeah. Well, I you know I just think he he wanted he wanted to prove something, and he know. did. Yeah. He's just got to keep it up. I really I'm really hoping that the the schedule falls so that the last week it's Dolphins Bills and whoever wins makes playoffs. Whoever doesn't goes home. Uh, the, Not go home, but go to the wild card because that's what they're building right now. Yeah, yeah. And I really want to see, like, I love those type of games. Yeah. Because you see the passion come out in the guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, there's a lot. Well, you know what? There's so much parody in the NFL right now that it, it's it's going to be it's going to be one of those things. It just is it, that you're going to see a lot of teams move up and down that that wild card situation. Yep. There's nothing. It's so fluid right now. There's you can't even say at this point now in the season that anyone's guaranteed to stay in the wild card situation. No, no, not I, with the way the games have been lately. Yeah, there's just no there's there's no guarantee. The Vikings have to face the the Lions twice now. Uh, they next week, um, this coming week, uh, at home, which I think they lose. They will. Yeah, the Lions are on fire right now. Yeah, all oh, the Lions trounced Denver yeah. this, this week. Yeah. Um, and they're they're running into a buzzsaw, and I'm sorry, but Mullins is garbage. He yep. just is. And you know, unless they put the kid in, unless they put Jaron Hall in, they're done. It's just all there is to it. And I think they're done anyways. I don't think they make the playoffs. I don't either. I think I think the Packers knocked them out. I think so too. Yeah. Yep. Um, Lions win the division. Packers knock out, and then the Lions knock the Packers out of the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. Um. 
But uh, yeah, and the, but then well, the Lions get knocked out by either the Cowboys or the Niners. Eventually, eventually, yeah. yeah I still think it's Niners, Niners and in uh, Ravens. Baltimore, Bowl. yeah, yep, I agree. Yeah, Niners, Ravens, yeah, I agree. Um, but that's that's uh, that's a long and short of Ziggy's picks. So so if you want to see the full uh, slate of games and who picked what, you and our pick percentages. Uh, you go to darknessradioshow.com, click on Ziggy's Picks, and you can see exactly who's done what this week. Uh, two stories left for this week, and then uh, we're done for the week. The first one is an animal story. Ooh, okay. Sent in by uh, Tom, I believe. This one is a red alert bruiser. Uh, we've always been told that certain animals don't have opposable thumbs. Not true anymore. <laughs> right, yes. Not true anymore. Because that's what separates that's what separates us from the, the animals, the opposable thumbs. That's right, the opposable thumbs. It's not true. As a matter of fact, one of those uh, animals that's in the ocean, uh, if you remember when we, when we were on the Jericho cruise, um, they told us we could go in the ocean, we could play with dolphins. Yeah. Well, now they have opposable thumbs. <laughs> yeah, but still they can't come on land. Mm-hmm. Give them time. <laughs> Give them time. Uh the article says, I, for one, welcome our dolphin overlords. I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, I know. I'm not going to worship a dolphin. No. Uh, here's some news you probably didn't expect to hear today. Scientists examining a unique society of mixed species dolphins in Greece recently discovered a unique specimen with thumbs. See, that's why humans got to stop reproducing with dolphins. That's right. That's right. <laughs> keep, keep, your, keep your reproductive parts to yourself. Uh, well, you see these dolphin videos of these. These women getting mounted by these dolphins when they're swimming with the dolphins. Right. Like, look what happens. Now we got opposable thumbs on dolphins. That's right. Dolphins are intelligent, but a major advantage we humans have, besides being able to walk on land, is our opposable thumbs. This particular dolphin's thumbs are apparently not movable, thankfully for our species, and resemble a pair of bottle openers embedded in its flippers. I see where your mind's going, Bruiser. I see <laughs> These dolphins like to drink beer. That's right. The discovery was made by researchers from the uh, Pelagos, is it Cetacean? Cetacean? Uh, Cetacean Research Institute working in the Gulf of Corinth in Greece. The team shared their findings in a YouTube video uploaded in October. The Gulf of Corinth is the only place in the world where striped dolphins live in a semi-enclosed gulf isolated from the larger seas or oceans. The researchers wrote in the video's caption, together with common dolphins and Rizzo's dolphins, they're the ones from Greece, get it? Rizzo's. They're the pink ladies? Yeah, they're the pink ladies. Uh, They form a permanent mixed species dolphin society. Among other pretty notable observations, such as a common dolphin, they adopted a kidnapped striped dolphin. The researchers wrote that they recorded a unique striped dolphin with thumbs on both of its pectoral flippers. Needless to say, the discovery of a thumb dolphin is spectacular. Life Science spoke to Alexandros Francis, uh, president of the Pelagos uh, Research Institute, who told the outlet it was the first, very first time we saw this surprising flipper morphology in 30 years of surveys in the open sea and also in studies uh, while monitoring all the stranded dolphins along the coasts of Greece for 30 years. So what exactly, exactly happened? What exactly, what exactly <laughs> happened here? 
uh, have dolphins finally begun to evolve into a world-dominating species to rival Homo sapiens? Let's not get that far. This is just kind of putting the cart in front of the dolphins. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Live Science also spoke to Lisa Noel Cooper, a professor who specializes in mammalian anatomy and neurobiology at Northeast Ohio Medical University, who said that it's likely a genetic defect. Dolphins' front limbs have a similar bone structure to our hands, the textbook example of evolutionary concept of homogalous structures, but instead cells form around them to form flippers. It looks to me like the cells that normally would have formed the equivalent of our index and middle fingers died off in a strange event where the flipper was forming while the calf was still in the womb, Cooper told the outlet. So there you go. So it's a freak. It's a genetic freak. It's a genetic freak dolphin. (laughs) That can open beer. That's right. That can open beer. So there you go. Dolphins that open beer. That's your first Christmas (laughs) present from me. Second, here's the big Christmas gift from me to you, Bruiser. And I will... recipe, right? It's a recipe that I will forward to Mrs. Bruiser uh, when we get off the air here. People have been gobsmacked after a former McDonald's chef has shared the ingredients used to make McRib. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. It's true. I don't know if I want to know how it's made. Well, but you can make it at home. Okay. Yeah. A former McDonald's corporate chef has dished the dirt on what's in the fast food brand's McRib, and lovers have gone wild over the surprising number of ingredients. Fast food fans have been left in shock after a former McDonald's corporate chef has shared what really goes into the brand's much-loved McRib. Profiled on the fast food giant's website, McDonald's describes its offering as seasoned boneless pork dipped in a tangy barbecue sauce topped with, topped with slivered onions and dill pickles all served on a toasted homestyle bun. When everything combines, you have barbecued pork sandwich perfe- perfection. But the chef, now known as at Chef Mike Harak, Harats, I believe it is, or Harax, uh, on the social media site, was keen to answer his followers' questions as to what exactly went in it to make it so McTasty. He said, people have been asking me to disclose what's in the McRib patty. Uh, what are all the filler ingredients? Well, I'm here to tell you. You ready for this? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. So after telling his TikTok followers he has been on the McDonald's website to look at the ingredient statement, he said the list... Might take him some time. Number one is pork, two is water, three is salt, four is dextrose or sweetener, and five is rosemary extract. Okay. 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 Even with the former chef shocked, he continued, that's it. Only five ingredients. Oh, okay. Yeah. He went on to say, there you go. So he went on to say that he knew people uh, would be asking what kind of pork was used before telling them, what do you think the ground meat industry is using? whole pork tenderloins to grind into them. He said, no, they're using scraps, using trims, offcuts from trimming up a pork butt, he said. Clarifying that was the case for the entire industry, not just McDonald's. Okay, Okay. that makes sense. Yeah. Make make use of your waste. Yep. 
His followers were quick to respond to his videos, with one saying, meanwhile, the sauce has 18 listed ingredients and the bun has 20. Another refuted his claim they use scraps, commenting, they're not using scrap pork. It's the shoulder and front leg. I worked at Tyson's and used to do them. Another agreed that they used to work at the plant that made the patties. The pork used was beautiful cuts of pork and shoulders with some trimming. Some comments were tongue-in-cheek, with one viewer saying, I was really craving one until you told me that it wasn't that unhealthy. And other cheekily adding, and super glue to bind the scraps together. (laughs) So they're actually not that unhealthy, people. Nope. They're pretty pretty darn good. So there you go. I think I'm going to have one today. There you go. So... Uh, I'll forward the article on to you and the necessary information to get the information to make them. Perfect. There you go. So Merry Christmas, buddy. Thank you. So that'll do it for the show today. What you got going on, Bruiser? Uh, Nothing this weekend. I'm training the youth uh, professional wrestling. If you out there want to be a professional wrestler, to train with me, amlwrestling.com slash training. Um, We're getting ready for the big January 20th show, which is War Games 3. We got Arnie Anderson, JJ Dillon, and Kurt Angle making an appearance. Ooh, Kurt Angle. Along with the War Games match. And if you want to see a brutal match, look up War Games. Yeah, it's a good one, though. It is a Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorites. Match. Yeah, I love War Games. War Games is fun. Yep. Um, nothing going on in my world. I'm not at KNSI Radio for a couple of weeks. Um, I won't be back until New Year's. But tomorrow on the big show, Terry Ling Keel will be with us. She's a demonologist. She's also a member of MoveOn. We'll be talking about demonology. We'll be talking about aliens on tomorrow's show. Very cool. Yeah, big week before Christmas show. Nice. Got a big Christmas week show for you, or Christmas week shows for you as well. So... Uh, not taking the week off because it's Christmas, that's for sure. So if, if you are <laughs> alone on Christmas, there are shows for you. So, yeah, brand new shows. Very cool, so very cool. So that'll do it for this week. Uh, tomorrow on the show, Terry Ling Keel. For Beer City Bruiser, I'm Tim Dennis. Thank you so much for joining us today on Supernatural News. We will see you tomorrow for the best in paranormal programming. This is Darkness Radio.